Hello, welcome to the Mag Life Podcast. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I'm here with an author who has had a huge influence on my life uh, back when I was in the Marine Corps, but also since retiring and stepping out into some art and uh, staying with the the warrior culture that I can't seem to get rid of, uh, at least in my own mind. But Stephen Pressfield is actually right here on the podcast, and uh, I can't believe I'm saying that. It's pretty awesome. Welcome, Steve. Glad to have you. Hey, it's great to be here, Daniel. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, you know, one thing that I, I always love, you know, your books have been on the Marine Corps reading list, you know, with Gates of Fire, you know, a long time ago. And then uh, I think uh, uh, early into the second decade of the 2000s, we we saw Warrior Ethos pop in there. And, you know, people talk about it and read it. And Training and Education Command says, hey, read this book. Uh, I read that really early in 2011, and then I just recently read it again, and I got something totally different from it because I had matured in my journey that you talk about in the warrior journey. And I want to talk about that here in a, in a few minutes, but uh, I just want to say to start, you've obviously put a lot of time into Marines culture because a lot of folks get that wrong. They really get it they're like way too far cliche. Like we're not that well, maybe we are in some ways, but I appreciate that. You know, there's, it's like you've been very accurate with that. And uh, the only person I would give that same compliment to is Sebastian Younger. Uh, well, I was a Marine. I am a Marine. So, you know, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> and that is why. So they, that's see, that's the best thing about it. You know, the uh, we always talk about the celebrities that we all like and that are Marines or in the Army and, and served in the military and everything else. And there's just I think there's too few of you guys. I just stole one of my Marine buddies from Hollywood. Uh, you, you got one of your starts out there as, as a screenwriter uh, after working in the ad business for a while, but he just got really frustrated. So now he, he works for me and we make uh, all kind of gun videos and, and uh, uh -huh. that kind of stuff. And uh, he does really good work. And, uh, but just having another Marine around, he tells me all these stories about how he had to not tell people that he was a Marine. You know, because he wouldn't have got this job and this and that. Really? They, oh. He's too gung-ho and stuff. He's uh -huh. in the visual effects world out there. Uh -huh. Really interesting stuff. But anyway, let's let's get started here. Um, obviously, the Marine background is a great starting point for what your values become or your orientation to, to life and everything else out there. But what really drew you to start researching warrior cultures and getting into what it means to be a warrior? It's... Uh... It's, it's a really good question, Daniel, and it, it's not like it was anything that I planned. You know, I certainly didn't at all see myself as a young man as like a warrior or anything like that. And when, um, but uh, when I started writing novels, which was like 30 years after, you know, trying to become a writer, um, I just found myself in some crazy way drawn to those stories, you know. Uh, my first book, The Legend of Bagger Vance, is even though it's a golf story, it's really a war story if you read yeah. it. And, um, and uh, I didn't know what to do after that. You know, they, if you have one book, they always want you to have another. And to my very surprise, I found myself writing about the Spartans at Thermopylae. I, I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I just found a quote in Herodotus that sort of took me back to that time. And, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll get, maybe this is too much detail, but no way. Um, I was reading Herodotus, the histories, and he was, he's talking about the battle of Thermopylae. And there's a famous passage where the Spartan warrior Dionysus, uh, and this is a true thing. When he was told that the Persians were on their way and that they were so numerous that when their archers fired their volleys, the mass of arrows blocked out the sun. And, when, and he responded to that, good, then we'll have our battle in the shade. And when I read that, I just thought, this was really a Marine sort of thing. I said to myself, I know guys just yeah. like that. I know that exact sense of humor. I know that exact kind of, you know, gutsy thing to say. And I just thought at that moment that I could write about this guy that I could somehow, that he could be an anchor that would pull me back in imagination. So, uh, but it never was a plan for me. It just sort of happened. And after doing one book that was a sort of a warrior type of book, I found myself doing another and another and another, much to my surprise. It was just your own quest for knowledge, I guess. That, that's very interesting. So that, that quote that you just stated right there, if I remember correctly, in Warrior Ethos, that was, you explained that as, uh, you know, this 
the the outside non-warrior onlooker may look at this as like bravado or something and may false bravado but but this was something different Ed, could you explain what that was yeah i think uh, i was talking about i think i was talking about uh the spartan sense of humor yeah which is a lot like the marine sense of humor or any elite military sense of humor which isn't really jokey it isn't really laugh oriented but it's it's gallows type humor it's sort of like you know we're all fucked so let's you know face it and and get on with it you know so um that kind of joke that he had good then we'll have our battle in the shade sort of uh there were a couple of aspects to it. Number one, it didn't deny. I mean, if we were there, if you and I were there at at the pass of Thermopylae waiting to be overrun by millions of the enemy, we'd be pissing in our pants. You know, silently, we'd be withdrawing into our own fear. Right. And so for someone, an officer or a, or a leader of any kind to make a crack like that, everybody would laugh. And everybody would sort of realize, you know, we are screwed, We're gonna be screwed uh, but together. here we are. We're all together. We're in it together. We're going to face it, you know. Um, so that's that was a, a big thing about that. There are many instances of of Spartan humor that's kind of like that. In fact, for our listeners, if if you guys have never or gals have never read a thing called Sayings of the Spartans, you know, by Plutarch, look this up. Um there's actually a uh, a penguin paperback. I think it's called Plutarch on Sparta, and he did these. He had this short kind of pamphlet called Sayings of the Spartans and Sayings of the Spartan Women, and they're like little, almost like jokes, little one-liners. And there's like maybe you know a couple hundred of them, and they're they're really fascinating. And it's a real example of this kind of. Uh, we're all screwed, so let's get on with it type of thing. Let's humor. do the same thing. But you and I co-author. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, sayings of Marines, <laughs> right? I'm sure we can come up with lots of them. But that, that'd be a good idea. That's very interesting. You know, I've, I've been in, in bunkers and in ditches and in fighting holes when artillery was coming in, in mortars and rockets. And the jokes that we made, you know, we're all scared to death, but we're all, you know, somewhere between 18 and you know, 25, 30 years old. And the, uh, we're doing our best to, to not look scared. You know, I have a saying that the drill instructor told me, not mine. I was actually working at Paris Island with the new recruits teaching marksmanship. And, uh, I was standing there in the cold and I was shivering. I was just freezing and hating life. I had like everything I owned that was in regulation on right now to stay warm because it was like 30 degrees, but it was raining and it was just terrible. And the winds of Paris Island. And, um, he walked up to me and he's like, Hey, these are my recruits dog. And he's like, basically, you're looking like a little bitch right now. <laughs> he said, be tired, don't look tired. Be cold, don't look cold. You can be hungry, but don't look hungry. You know, ah. be pissed off. It's okay to look pissed off. But like, they, but he had these rules. And I remember them ever since. And this was like 1999. And I, uh, that, that was very, that was a huge for me to think that. Like, so be cold and look tired. So I, I look at this as well, even in the warrior side of things, you know, there's, it's hard to put into perspective. We're all programmed to be cowards in, in a way, you know, with the self-preservation. Self-preservation. I mean, we're all, yeah. And I wrote this in like actually a little screenplay that, I, that I've that i written and have been working on and trying to novelize it now because I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not going out to Hollywood. If even if I had the, the shot, probably. But the, uh, not to mention I would love to sell a screenplay, but I wrote myself into this guy a lot of ways. And he's talking to, to the, the girl that he's protecting and helping and saying that um, I've been a coward my whole life, but I've not wanted myself, anybody else around me to know it. So I've been doing brave things my entire life. So I, I, I recognized that self-preservation thing earlier on, and I used to beat myself up about it. And then uh, as we move forward in time and I get faced with some really life and death situations, you know, somebody's going to die if I don't go expose myself to some enemy fire here, some extreme danger. And then, you know, I did those things and, you know, I got awards and something, and it was very proud of all that. But what I really am the most proud of is that I defeated that, that cowardice that I was born with, you know, I was tested and I believe that I was fortunate to be tested in that way. And having that, that test and, and, and knowing I did that and I guess overcame um, that inborn instinct of, of self-preservation 
I showed in a big way that I wasn't a coward. So that was a big step toward my goal in life is to not be a coward. So that drives me in a lot of ways. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but if you're psychoanalyzing. No, absolutely. I mean, I think we all, you know, we're all in a body, in a physical body, and that body can die and that body can be hurt. You know, and just like anyone in the animal kingdom, you know, self-preservation is, you know, a primary instinct. And, uh, you know, I, li- I live out in the country and when you see, we see coyotes and deer and all kinds of animals all over the place. And you can really see their flight distance, you know, you, you approach them and you get to be whatever, 100 feet away or 50 feet away, they bolt, you know, even if you're bringing them apples and stuff like that, you know, so it's just in all our blood and it has to be overcome. That's really in a way what Spartan culture and what Marine Corps culture and any kind of, you know, military culture is about is inculcating um, countervailing pressures against that flight instinct, right? You're not going to flee because you'd be ashamed if you fled. You know, you're not going to flee because your buddies would call you, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, or, or you're inculcating the bond with your brothers, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you know, you, you can't leave them, you know, um, you're letting every Marine down that so, came before you. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you were saying before we started, Daniel, that kind of concept carries over, of course, in a civilian life, into real life, into artistic life, into creative life, into, into the internal uh, struggles that we have, you know, that nobody sees, you know, that's not about necessarily running into machine gun fire or anything like that, but facing some, some challenge, some internal challenge in our, in our life. I, I think most of us run into a machine gun nest weekly, if not every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. In, in True. some way. I, I mean, especially I, I find the writing thing and the listeners have heard me talk about this before. I, I don't like to run what I run because I haven't found that there's anything else that makes me more mentally tough and physically more callous than, than running, you know, every step I'm like making a decision to keep going and not turn back (laughs) and go back home because I'm getting tired. My back hurts, my legs hurt, my knee hurts, everything in my hip hurts, everything else. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing mental toughness and and choosing to to do what's best for me, even though it hurts uh, with every single step. And so that, that builds a lot of things for me. And that the same thing was in writing and, and writing is more of a challenge for me because I have to sit down and I have to, to hopefully get some alone time, which is pretty tough, and do this thing that I am confident in, but at the same time have all these voices of no confidence in myself. And so I'm defeating that self, I'm trying to defeat the self preservation again, but it's more like dream preservation or ego preservation. Because, you know, like you, like that, that's my dream. You know, is to to write. That's it. Just to do that. Mm-hmm. That'd be amazing. Just spread spreading information, telling stories, and uh, but it's it's almost the same thing as charging that machine gun nest. You know, and defeating that self preservation to put this even to write a first draft that nobody's going to see. Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, have 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 you read my book, The War of Art, by any chance? Yes, absolutely. Nah, so you know, that's that's what the whole thing is about, right? That uh, there is this enemy that I, I give the name uh, resistance with a capital R that's totally inside our own heads and doesn't just apply to writing. It applies to any time we try to do to elevate our, ourselves from a lower level to a higher level, physical fitness, something spiritual, something in a relationship. Anytime we try to go from being a kind of a, you know, a low beast level to a higher, you know, spiritual or mental level, this negative force of self-sabotage of that I call resistance of procrastination, uh, fear, self-doubt, um, or the flip side of it, arrogance, complacency, laziness um, is going to kick in. And that's the enemy. That's some that's, of you know, those machine gun bullets that are coming at us. They're invisible and they're generated by this, this negative force. And if we're going to succeed as, a, as an artist, as a writer, anybody that, that is doing something that's, that's individual, if you're designing motorcycles in your, in your shop or anything like that, um, that negative force is going to be there of self-sabotage never goes away. I've been doing this for more than 50 years. It never goes away. And every day the challenge is to, uh, to overcome that. And, 
I've always said, as far as writing goes, that it's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I, I like what you did with uh, Turning Pro, where you took that same concept and just presented it in that context. Um, and so like they get the same idea of that resistance and everything else. And yeah, that, that helped me because I recognize it, you know, and I recognize it in, in my writing, but I also recognize it in, you know, if, if I drove up on a medical emergency from a car accident, you know, there's that, this group think and, and mentality where, oh, there's somebody here more qualified than I am. They should do this or whatever. Oh, next thing you know, and somebody's over here bleeding, you know, and they're not taking action or, or there's somebody who, who needs to be stopped with the use of force and, and you, you're not doing it, and, and there's people going to be suffering because of that same resistance. And those are much more rare than my uh, short and long writing assignments that I need to do. But those are, but it, it's still kind of the same questioning internally that I'm having to overcome to take that first step in the, the right direction. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think as we were talking, Daniel, before we started recording, you were talking about the sort of the warrior mindset and how it it carries through for you in all of the things that you do. And I think that uh, that's true for me, too. It's like we like we said, there there is always that enemy, whatever it may be, to be lazy, to 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 be the one that, that uh, doesn't put himself forward, to hang back and let somebody else go forward. It's there like 24 hours a day, constantly. And and if we're going to not be ashamed of ourselves, if we're going to have self-respect at the end of the day, we have to have some kind of mindset that will propel us to overcome that, you know, to be the one that does step up and take the action or whatever it is. And it never, it never stops. It's every day over and over and over. So 50 years of recognizing this, well, maybe you didn't recognize it early on. I'm not sure exactly what I that did happened. early on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't recognize a lot of things. I, I'm actually working on a little, uh, small, little, uh, nonfiction piece right now about the things I should have known because I wrote a little article, but I was speaking to a, a football team, high schoolers and uh, I went to the last minute. And so I, I was, they were just like a motivation thing. They have vets come in there and stuff and um, they asked me to do it. So I, I wrote 46 things is what I got to that. I wish somebody would have told me when I was their age and I just wrote those down and they were funny, you know, like some of them were funny. Some of them were, were very real, you know, and like, you know, hug your mom one day she's going to, uh-huh. you know, and, and uh, uh, that girl that, that broke your heart that you're so worried about right now. And you think your life is over. You're not going to remember her name in 10 years. You know, the, the, if you go into a bathroom uh, and there are no urinals, you're not in the men's bathroom. You know, so it's, it's basic life stuff. And uh, everybody's like, wow, this is so great. I, and they were like, wanted explanations on some of them. So I, I was going to uh, write some different paragraphs out of that. And then I, I got into a situation where I was around a young man did not have a good father figure, you know, a good, I guess, driving him in the right directions um, and didn't know a lot of things that a young man should know. And my wife was like, hey, that thing that you're working on, like you, you should include like some stuff for for that age group, like the, for these kids that are missing their fathers like that, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So I, it turned into multiple chapters and mm-hmm. everything else. So that's, that's where I'm at now. But I, I think that was a very great idea. And, you know, and I hope I have some things to offer that group. And uh, it's, it seems like every page I'm going to warrior ethos for some kind of citation to Stephen Pressfield. Let me ask you a question, Daniel. Let me ask you, um, how did you, when did you kind of uh, uh, tilt towards writing as, as, a, as an aspiration or an ambition? That's a really good question. You know, when I was a kid, I hated writing and I hated school. I hated everything about high school and didn't even want to go to college. Just went straight in the Marine Corps right when I turned 17. But I messed around whenever I was really bored and had nothing to do around me, like on ship. And I would mess around with poetry, even though I had no idea how to write poetry. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, mm-hmm. know the, the actual, the way it works. Um, but I started getting into the... Uh, you know, just writing and I had no idea what story meant. I didn't know what a story was. I remember after I read that you've said similar things where you were even until you got to Hollywood, you didn't really understand story. Um, I think story is such an important and powerful and complex thing, even though I've read like 40 books on it. And I think I understand story right now. I still accept it. I probably don't understand some things about story, but it's actually when I was working in the gun world after retirement from the Marine Corps, you know, I, I liked arguing on paper, and making statements, 
you know, as I started going through undergrad, I started I learned this arguing on paper thing, and I always loved to argue. So I started doing that, and that was kind of fun, but now I hate doing that. But so I got to this point where I was making a lot of videos and films for the outdoor industry and firearms industry, and I got into visual storytelling and filmmaking. Uh-huh. And and then uh, and I, I, re- I found out that there was a, a system to this uh, and how things work, and I started reading some books on it and everything, and actually applied to go to – uh, film school at University of Miami, thinking there's no way they're going to accept a 38-year-old man, Marine, retired, this and that, that works in the gun world, and they did. So I went down there, did a year. The production stuff was like, I've been doing that for years, so I wasn't getting anything out of it whatsoever. But I got dropped in this intro to screenwriting class. Ah. And this first two weeks of this semester... I was like, I hate this. This is the worst thing ever. Screenwriting, I feel like I'm wearing handcuffs and my mouth is gagged and everything else I did. This is disgusting. I can't stand it. And then I picked up a couple of books because I wanted to understand it. Read Blake Snyder's book, Save the Cat. Read uh, quite a few other, all the big ones out there. Read a bunch uh-huh. of these. And uh, so I, I didn't always agree with everything in every book, but I was putting pieces of the puzzle together. And then I realized, like, I love screenwriting. Uh-huh. This is like so pure and simple and concise and and descriptive at the same time and so visual and uh so i I got crazy about it i took every screenwriting class they had there uh and then i read every book i get my hands on i'm probably at like 50 60 books on writing from people who never even sold a screenplay that are writing books but still there's always nuggets you know Uh and i just couldn't get enough and then i signed up for a master's degree in uh creative writing and did my thesis and everything was a screenplay. So I, I had a, like a screenwriting focus, but that's when I got started. Was I visually, this was about six years ago where I really got serious about five years ago, five or six, when I really got serious about writing fiction and nonfiction and, and trying to understand story. Ah, very interesting. So you really, it's sort of like my story. I never started out to be a writer either. You know, I wasn't one of those kids that, you know, was writing short stories. I just sort of came out of natural stuff that happened in your life, you know? So it's really interesting. You, you and me were sort of like enlisted men that, you know, you don't yeah. wind up uh, being officers, you know? I, I hope I get to be an officer. <laughs> you're, you're certainly the general out there, right? Like, uh, I'll be happy to be be a sergeant major or something maybe one day. That'd be cool. So I, you draw on many concepts um, when speaking about overcoming obstacles and what you call resistance with a capital R. Um, and a lot of those come from from virtues of a warrior. You know, those virtues of a warrior sometimes, like, get rid of that resistance before it occurs, Sometimes it's our way to to get through that resistance or whatever. I just wanted to talk about just some some tools that you found with all this experience you have that helps you get through that, that helps you do it. Well, the the sort of the overwhelming concept you mentioned, turning pro, that's a uh, that's my second book after the War of Art that's about writing, and the concept of uh, of turning of not thinking of yourself as an amateur but instead thinking of yourself as a professional. Mm -hmm. That's really what sort of helped me turn the corner. And like I say in the book, what I really like about that concept is there's no judgment attached to it. In other words, you don't blame yourself. You don't say I'm a bad person because I quit on this novel or this screenplay or whatever it is, this book, this this, uh, business I wanted to start. You just say to yourself, well, I was thinking like an amateur. You know, I was thinking like a weekend warrior, like somebody that wasn't really committed. And all I have to do is sort of flip the switch in my mind and say that, you know, I'm I'm going to go about this like a pro would go about it. And the way a pro goes about things is a pro shows up every day. You know, uh, if you think about somebody like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, you know, would play through injury at, no matter what, you know. Uh, whereas an amateur, an amateur encounters adversity or is hurt in some way and they fold, right? And I know this myself because I lived as an amateur for many, many years, you know. And a pro doesn't let things like that stop them. So that, anyway, that was sort of the 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 mindset, the professional mindset, adopting a professional mindset that really turned a corner for me and made me able to uh, finish something that I started, you know, instead of quitting halfway through or quitting at the finish line and, and, and overcome all of the predictable resistance moments that happen in any project, you know, at the start, in the middle, at the end, 
you know, the, when, when self-sabotage is going to rear its ugly head. Actually, I'm curious what, what you think about this. I have this, this Jedi mind trick that I do to myself that allows me to fail and keep trying. And this is something that I've just been, I've been done for a really long time. I, I go after things, you know, what I, I started writing my, let's say my, let's take my screenplay, for example, um, it won student film festival. It's done pretty good in a couple of, uh, you know, international ones and stuff. And, but I, there's still so many things in there that need to be fixed that I knew need to be fixed that I, I don't like them at all, but I just haven't had time to sit down and fix these things. And I recognize a lot of these things and, you know, I, I'm not afraid to put it out there for people to see and, and read or whatever else, because this isn't my last work. This is my first work, my first screenplay that I've ever written. Right. And, and, uh, it's, so I, I, I approach things in as far as, in, in my more martial side of my life, you know, and, and as a, as a Marine, uh, as a leader in, uh, in an executive in, in business, um, those things, I, my final product, the last time I produce that thing, whatever it is before I die is the one that matters the most to me. Everything else is, is a stepping stone and a process. And, and, a, and a, it's, it's me learning. It's a, it's a learning opportunity. So if I fail, then it's okay. Here's weird. I learned from this mistake, and now I, I know more about this the next time I go in there. Um, and that helps me keep doing those things even after – even the things that I failed at because I've never been great at anything, Steve, in my life. I've never been great at anything. Uh, to be as good as the people who are great and people around me who are naturally good at some things, I've had to put in more effort than most people around me, whether that's sports or anything. And, um, and that's one of the things that's really helped me do that. But – Looking at turning pro, it sounds like that could be counterproductive if done too much. Mm, you mean putting stuff out there and and thinking in long terms, thinking in the long game that you're going to get better over time? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So, like, but it's okay to fail right now because this is just practice. You can judge me on this, but wait till you see the thing that I get to uh, from this. Yeah, you know, I would not. Future. I think that's right in line with the idea of turning pro. In fact, it's I, I really like that. It's a great Jedi mind trick. And and uh, and it's very mature, too, you know, because most people and I know I've struggled with this myself. You, you're working on something, whatever it is, if it's something you're writing or it's a new business or it's whatever. And you feel like this is my whole life right here. And I'm terrified to put it out there because if this fails, everything ends. When, in fact, life is life is long and you're going to have a, another one and another one and another one and another one. And that's the, that's, that is a great way to look at it. Um, there's a famous story about Cole Porter, you know, who wrote all the great songs back in the thirties or whatever it was that he was, he was working in Hollywood, writing songs for movies. And one of his songs got rejected by somebody. And a friend of his said, gee, Cole, how do you take this? You know, this, this, this terrible rejection, your tongue got turned down. And, and Cole Porter said, I got a million of them. He says, there's another trolley coming down the track, you know, I, uh, you know, right now. And of course he was right. He did have a million of them. So I do think that that's, that really is a great way to look at it. That it's it life. It, it's a process, right? We're going to run a million races. We're going to have, there's going to be a million days and we just try to keep, keep getting better. Yeah. I, it's, I, I try to have a level of humility and everything. Cause I, people are tired of hearing this on the podcast, but I've been wrong about so many things in my life that I believe that there's no way I'm hundred percent right about anything right now. You know, that just, I've been so wrong whenever I thought for sure I was so right, but I, I wasn't, you know, so I go ahead and assume that I'm missing at least something to begin with, but I try to be as right as I possibly can be. And, you know, that actually, I talked a minute ago about my never being great at anything, just having to put forth more effort sometimes and have you know, a little more discipline with it. You know, you say something pretty, a pretty strong statement when you say talent is bullshit. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you say, you know, one of the great things about being a writer as opposed to being an athlete is you can keep doing it and you get better as you go along. It's not like you hit age 32 and the game is over, you know? Yeah. So, and I'm, you know, obviously you need talent to succeed at anything, right? I mean, Michael Jordan had talent. Without it, he wouldn't have got where he was, you know? But I, I am a real believer that that hard work is 95% of it. I mean, like I've said that uh, right now, at whatever age I am, which I'm not going to tell you, people tell me I'm a talent, 
But for 30, 40 years, they told me I was a bum. And the only reason I'm, I'm a talent now, if I am, is because I've been working all that time, you know? And like you say, all the books that you've read, all the classes that you've taken, all the work you've done, you're learning. You're better now than you were two years ago and better than you were four years ago. And you can get better at anything, you know, um, just by putting in the time and grinding. And in many ways, I think that's a better way to get good than to be blessed with talent right at the right at the start. There's so many great athletes, you know, five-star athletes that come out of high school and three years later, you never hear from them again because it came too easy for them. You know, they never had to yep. develop that real hardcore mental toughness and they never had to really ask themselves, why am I doing this? Do I really love it so much? And it sounds to me, Daniel, like the stuff you're doing, you really love and you know it. You know that you love it. So that's going to, you know, keep you going another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you'll keep getting better and better and better. I appreciate that and that encouragement. You know, it sounded like you were talking about the analogy of, um, well, this analogy that popped in my head was, you know, if you, you could go out and buy a dog at one of these puppy mills or whatever, or you could get one from the shelter, those from the shelter have, have been on the inside. You know, they, they've seen the hard yeah, life. Yeah. They've been hungry. You know, who knows what else? When, when you rescue them, them, them rescue dogs, they love you. They, they, the other ones don't know what they, where they've been. I'm sure they love you too, but there's just something about those rescued animals that, that just seem to be more appreciative. And so like those us out there earning it, you say on your website about, you know, if you're out there struggling right now, you're having the hard time. Maybe you're you're eating ramen noodles or dog food, you know, whatever, and you're you're in that point in your life. This is the best years, you said. Yeah, I I, I think it's true. I think it's true. Um, it's hard to tell yourself that while you're in the middle of that, you know, but um I, I can, I, you know, I don't want to look back in my own life, but this, the times when I was really struggling the most, when I look back on them, those were in many ways were the best times, you know, they were the purest times when you really have nothing except the dream and the work, you know, there's no expectations, you know, you don't have to live up to anything that nobody's depending on you. It's just you versus yourself. There was a, a moment where I was at a um, a friend's house. We're actually filming a video for a gun company, and he was like the executive producer. And he um, he showed me a painting in his living room. I was like, "Dude, that's really cool! Like, who did that?" He said, "I did it." And I was like, "I didn't know you were a painter." He's like, "Well, I'm not." And uh, he's like, "That's the only thing I've ever painted, you know, other than all the things I practiced to get to that point, you know." And he said, "He said I learned. You can learn too." And this is how long it took me, and that, that blew my mind that that somebody could paint something that beautiful it was like a whole landscape with like a big house and stuff uh-huh. and uh that without doing that since they were a kid you know he, he decided to start this as like 40 some years old just to learn how to do it you know and uh and he did it in like a year and that, that blew my mind that you could learn to be an artist i never thought about that i thought artists were born that way you know like they 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 did the certain things they were with the certain groups you know and everything else and uh and those people were I just thought that was interesting. So I started looking into this. And then as I start really diving into the writing thing and the screenwriting, you know, I learned that some people are really strong in dialogue. Some of them are really strong in scene descriptions. Some of them are really strong in like overall, you know, stories and everything else and character, blah, blah. Um, but very few people are really good at everything. So they have to go learn that little aspect, you know, and some people are naturally better at others. So if everybody has to learn some other aspect of this, so these are all learned skills that we can acquire and we can bring in. And I think that same thing applies to whether you're talking about self-defense, overcoming, you know, obstacles and resistance in your fitness goals or whatever else. These are all things that, you know, maybe I can't do this right now. Like I like putting the word yet on the end, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I just have to, I have to do these other things and hit these other checks in the boxes then I will be able to acquire that capability. Yeah, you know, it's it's. they really should teach you that in school, shouldn't they? Yes. It's like you don't need to lead learn algebra and this other shit, you know. People should just tell you that simple thing that, you know what, you can get better at something if you just work at it. You're not, you don't have to be born with a silver spoon or an artistic whatever it is. You can, you can get better at it. And the other thing, of course, particularly writing, filmmaking and stuff like that, there are, 
a lot of times are collaborative ventures is you don't have to do everything yourself either. You know, you can, you can work with other people that bring to the table stuff that you, you know, gifts that you might not have. And out of that can come something great, you know? So that's another great lesson. You don't have to do everything yourself or learn everything yourself. Sometimes, you know, you can bring in a partner or a partner comes to you and uh, if you're willing to share credit, you can do some great stuff with other people. Uh, I haven't finished it yet, but um, actually, the, the I'm reading like three books right now. But one of those is No One Wants to Read Your Shit. Ah, yeah. And uh, that is super common. You know, that the, the friend of mine, an agent out in L.A., he uh, he sent me an article. I forget what it was, who it was a long time ago. But it was it was basically saying a very similar thing about uh, nobody's going to read your – maybe a similar title, but it wasn't written by you. Probably somebody's still in your work. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's so true, you know, whether you're talking about the, the ad copy or, like, uh, trying to get somebody to read, you know, a novel you wrote or a short story or a screenplay or anything else, you know. And, and nobody – Nobody cares about you as much as you do. Nobody cares about, you know, your goals as much as you do. Um, you got one of your starts and a lesson in, in humility from when, as I was reading that book. Um, and when you ever, basically you were connected with a writing partner who was a bit more established in the filmmaking world. Yeah. And can you tell me a little about that? How, you know, the, how that, that, that changed you for the better? Ah. That's a great question. Oddly enough, I'm, I'm writing about that right now, that period right now. But what happened for me was when I got out to, to Hollywood and was trying to make it as a screenwriter, I had an agent and I had done like maybe nine screenplays or something that none of them had sold. Each one took like about six months to write. And my agent said to me, uh, he was getting tired of sending my stuff out and getting nothing back. He said, how would you feel about if I teamed you up with an older established writer and, and you worked with him, you know, he says, you'll have to kind of follow his lead. He'll be the boss. You'll be the junior member of the team, but at least you'll start working, you know? And so I said, you know, sign me up for that. And, uh, it, the, it was, uh, uh, although it was, there was a lot of, uh, Sturm and Drang in it. It was a great mentorship type of situation where I learned a tremendous amount from, uh, from my writing partner. Like one of the things was I'm the kind of guy that comes up with like a hundred ideas and 99 of them are shit. Mm -hmm. And my partner was the kind of guy who would say, ah, that's the good one. You know, oh. he, he could recognize the one. And so when we sort of did this over and over and over again, I would say to myself, I got to learn to recognize this myself. You know, I got to somehow acquire that, that talent that he has. And, uh, you know, there were, there were another, another thing that he really taught me was, uh, and this I'm sure is right up your street, Daniel, right now was to learn the canon, C-A-N-O-N, the great movies. He introduced me to all kinds of movies that I'd never heard of from the thirties, film noir, stuff like that, that I'd never knew. And, um, you know, you have to have that kind of vocabulary so that when you're speaking about a new idea, you can say, well, it's a little bit like Battleship Potemkin, the scene in Battleship Potemkin, and it's a little bit like Citizen Kane and bumping, you know, you, you get all that. You have to sort of be really steeped in that kind of stuff. You seem like more of a guy who would who would reference Joseph Campbell over old films. Yeah, that's another thing. You gotta, in addition to knowing movies, you have to know things like that that are about story, the hero's journey, oh, all of that kind of stuff. But um, so he pointed me to many. It was like going to college, you know. It was like a a PhD in something, only it was in in real life. So that 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 really did help me for a while until uh, we had split up and had a painful divorce. I, I'll tell people all the time, you know, I, I did a, a master's degree in creative writing, but I learned more and I learned a lot in that, that program, but, uh, and it, and it was good because it, it maintained my focus. You know, it made me log in, do my thing, yeah. write all my stuff, get out of my comfort zone, even touch this literary theory stuff that I, I, I think is in, often intellectually bankrupt, but the, uh, okay, that's a different topic. <laughs> 
it, it, I, but I tell people all the time, like I learn more about writing from writing and reading books on writing and Googling the problems that I ran into in writing than I did from the master's degree in, in creative writing. Yeah. It's much cheaper and it's better. Yeah. The school of hard knocks is the, is the real school. I think I got just a few more things that I want to talk to you about and we'll get back to the, and I, I love that we're going in and out of, of writing because there's a lot of people out here listening, probably aren't writers don't really care about that. But uh, I think there's so many ways that, that, that spills over into the rest of your life. And one of those things is, you know, you're talking about turning pro and, and the war of art um, being a warrior. You know, there's, there's virtues this is more of me taking in a different direction of, of being a good person, being a good human, being a good father, husband, wife, whatever, that, uh, that I think is very important. And I think in a lot of ways we're missing a lot of these things in our society right now. And these are, these are the things that as a Marine and as a father and as a, a, a man who considers myself an, a warrior and tries to you know increase my craft in many things or capabilities in those crafts, the virtues of a warrior, all these things are, are huge pillars in my life that you list out as the virtues of a warrior. And I, there's things that I, I say that people look at me funny when I'm on a range and I've got a bunch of SWAT cops and I explain to them that they're not out there training, getting better at shooting, getting faster, getting more physically fit, getting better at fighting other humans because of malice or ill intent. They're doing it because of love, because they love their families. They want to go home and protect them and be there with form after work. They want to continue to provide for them. They love their communities. You know, they love the people around them. They love their fellow man. They're, they're very selfless in a lot of ways. Now, we, we have our bad group batch of everybody, you know, no matter writers and cops and everything else. Um, but they do this out of love. Sometimes they look at me funny. And then I, I picked a warrior ethos. And I've been telling them this for years out here teaching. And I tell Marines that too. And then I picked a warrior ethos probably almost, may, almost maybe exactly nine, ten years since I read it the first time. And I didn't pick that up the first time I read it. That didn't matter to me. That wasn't on my radar. We trained to kill back then. That's what I was thinking. You know, I had, I had a lot of things wrong, I think. And, um, and that was it. And then I really got into why I do these things. Like, what gets me to do these things? And so reading Warrior Ethos again, being more mature, and maybe along that path of no longer full-on warrior, but being more mentor, hopefully one day get over to the sage, you know? The... Uh, mm-hmm. um, Reading those virtues of a warrior just resonated with me significantly that affirmed some things that I had been saying and gave me a good compass for some things that I wasn't being as strong on. Mm-hmm. Yes. What if you could talk about those virtues of a warrior and what they uh, There's actually a book that I wrote that was about Alexander the Great. I don't know if you read it. It's called The Virtues of I haven't War. I have read that one yet. It's on the list. And, and uh, it was... Um, you know, people are, are so anti-war these days that when you use a phrase like the virtues of war or warrior virtues, they like get up in arms about that. Like, oh, you know, anybody that's a that's a fighter of any kind is bad right there. But yep. some of the virtues of a warrior, the first probably the first one would be courage. Right. Everybody agrees that's a virtue. But there are a lot of virtues of, of a warrior that are much more gentle. Like one of the great virtues is selflessness. And I think that that the Marine Corps, if there's anything that is misunderstood by people who are not Marines, but understood by people who are Marines, it's that selflessness is is probably the number one virtue that is taught. The the group comes before the individual, right? And for you to be tired or lazy and say, fuck it, and not support your guys, not bring that you know, that case of ammo and be there at the spot where you have to be the worst. is the worst crime you can yes. commit. Right. And it's, it's for your, for your body, selflessness. Another virtue of a warrior is patience, which you never really think about. But if you also, if you think about a hunter, whether it's a human hunter or an animal in the animal kingdom, they are so patient to sit there and just wait and wait and wait. And that's a great, that's another great thing. Um, the willing embracing of adversity is a, is a great warrior virtue. Another one of these right at the very, very top and which runs absolutely counter to the way we're taught as lazy, fat Americans, right? Where the, what we're taught is to, to be eating potato chips on the couch, watching football, right? Instead of embracing something that's hard, which of course 
is is the single key to accomplishing anything starting a business having a family writing a screenplay anything is so those are a few of the of the virtues of a warrior i want to talk about that one for a second if you don't mind steve the willingness to experience mm. adversity because i i have this saying that i tell people you know like i like to do things like the running thing and and that that makes me uncomfortable so that i can get a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah the more comfortable i am with being uncomfortable the better i am at like everything because nothing Nothing really worthwhile that I've ever done or accomplished or felt really good about was comfortable, was easy. You know, so the better we are, the more comfortable we are at being uncomfortable, the better we can maybe have more of those experience opportunities. My poor wife, we've been married like 16 years, and I love stress. I love adversity. I love when things are, are with the, I love when there's problems that need to be solved, right? Like I hate it when there's no problems that need to be solved. That's the most boring times of my life. So uh, it's like sometimes I, it's to even, counterproductively i create adversity and and i know that's a flaw that i have because i i crave it if that makes sense yeah i don't think it's a fault at all i think you know that on the one hand we are as human beings we are lazy we want to be comfortable you know that's that's one side of us but it's also true that we were built for adversity the human race was built for adversity. If you go back through evolution when we were cavemen, you know, why they, why would a human with no fur, no claws, no teeth, slow, dumb, no great vision, no great hearing, how come we survived and, and prevailed in the faiths of lions and bears and everything? It's because... Partly it's because of the tribe. We formed ourselves into tribes, but also it's because we were built for adversity. You know, we were built to live in on the South Pole and somehow survive to, to paddle canoes across the Pacific Ocean. You know, two or three guys in a canoe with a couple of coconuts. Um, you know, we are built for adversity. And so when I think that's a. When we embrace that in our own lives, and it's hard to do, right? You know, nobody wants to do it, but that, if there was ever a kind of a secret, that's it, you know, to be willing to, to embrace the hard stuff. Um, so that's another warrior virtue. But what I was going to say for the women that are listening to, to this, another thing, a way to look at virtues that will help one succeed as, a, as an artist or a businessman or anything at all Another great model is a mother. Is there ever was anybody that's beyond the warrior class? It's the mother class. Because if you think about what a mother will do for her child, will run into a burning building, right? Will lift a Buick with her bare hands, you know, to save her child. A mother will, we talk about selflessness. A mother with a child, whether it's she's pregnant and feels the, the life within her or a child that's already been born, a mother puts her own agenda completely aside, right? And, and says, I'm, I'm here for this child. Selflessly, I will give everything. Sometimes Years. moms give way too much, right? But they will do that. And uh, so courage, um, adversity, the adversity that a mother will go through for her children, you know, so that if we could have, if you and I could embrace the virtues of a mother, we'd be beyond warriorhood. So it's it cuts both ways. It's not just a male thing at all. Um, those those virtues um, are uh, you know indispensable in this life. Is tough, you know. It's a battle um, every day, and we need to have certain virtues that uh, see us through. And a warrior's virtues is one, and a mother's virtues is another. Uh, that's a great point. Which is also, you know, when we started this this thing, I was, I, I was mentioning Plutarch's sayings of the Spartans, and the matching column for that is sayings of the Spartan women, which are even more interesting than sayings of the Spartan. And uh, and there many of them are mother virtues too. You know, they're they're um, little short stories. So it's a it's a male female fifty fifty thing. God, that's super interesting. The whole there's so much in the Spartan culture that's so interesting. Even you know you talk about it in in your book, the selection of uh, the men who go fight in the in Thermopylae, everything. But the uh, there's there's so much in there. The women are such a powerful influence in there, and the things that they say, it's uh, just their attitudes, the way they look at it. You know, they could, I just could not imagine that today 
with our current culture, and that kind of leads me to my next question I was going to ask is kind of kind of bring the currently uh, type of culture that we have here in the U.S. You know, these, come back with your with this or on it. You know, when referencing to the shield. You know, like uh, yeah, shield is what protects the person next to them. You know, they could lose their helmet, but he lose their shield. You know, that's a disgrace. Like you said, the the marine not running ammo. Same thing. It's like that's the worst thing that you could possibly do. You know, and the 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 women being uh, that's what needs to happen. Being proud of them, not wailing in the street. You know, it's, it's just such a they had some powerful, some very strong women back then. So that, a question that I have now about today's culture. We we have you know the Marine Corps you know this it's very very shame based and I I love a good shame based culture you know where <laughs> like yeah everybody you're gonna do something or it's gonna be shame I think it's uh, I'm sure you you're familiar with O'Brien you know he wrote in the things we carried he said that uh, men fought died and and killed because they were too embarrassed not to like that's that's such a, a thing that describes war that young men that didn't even understand all the aspects of why they were there doing things and everything else but just the way that they were designed and the way they were basically in a lot of ways you know, taught and reoriented um, to be selfless. And in that way, they, they lost that. And that, now they have this idea that I, I will be shamed. I'll be letting everybody down that came before me. I will be letting my brothers, brothers down if I don't go do this thing that I was told to do. And it ends up driving a lot of actions. It'll make men and women do some, some things that they normally wouldn't do. Uh, and I, it, it helped me get to, I guess a point in my life where, you know, I don't think I would have, I don't think I've ever would have met my potential. I don't know if I have or not, but I don't think I would have gotten close if I didn't live for a really long time. And I did about 17 years, a little bit under in the Marine Corps in a shame-based culture. Yeah. I'm, I mean, shame, it normally it gets a bad rap as a word, you know, it's like, you shouldn't be shame, but it, I'm, I'm with you. A shame-based culture, Spartans were a shame-based culture. The samurai are a shame-based culture. But if you look at the flip side of that, look at it from sort of the other end of the telescope, it's really about self-respect. It's a sort of a question of there's a certain standard that if we just think about our, ourselves governing ourselves, forget about a, a larger group, um, the, the, a shame-based attitude or a self-respect attitude, there's a certain level, let's say, and you will not allow yourself to fall below that level. Right. Because to fall below that level, you'll feel shame. You say to yourself, I can't respect myself if I'm sloppy, if I do a sloppy, shitty job on this thing, whatever it is, or if I don't, you know, sacrifice to a certain level. And that's a really, really positive thing. If you think about great artists or anybody like that, they just won't let themselves fall below a certain level. They'll die before they'll do that, you know, and uh it's a military virtue. It's a mother virtue. The same thing. A mom is not going to let her child, you know, suffer in a certain way, you know, when the, when intervention would help. Um, so it is a question, I think, of just holding ourselves to a high standard. And a lot of that gets inculcated in the family or in, you know, in the military or something like that, where somebody teaches us, some mentor teaches us, you know, you're better than that. You know, I don't want to see you half-assing it like you're doing. You know, I'm ashamed of you when I see that. And we sort of internalize that. And it's a great thing to internalize. It keeps you going your whole life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one, one of the things I was talking about earlier on in the, the little project I'm working on is there's young men and women who don't have anybody telling them that. Encouraging them, they, hey, you can't yeah. do this. You can't. You know, you, you are capable. But here's some things that also need to be present, you know, in, in your, your efforts. Yeah. That's powerful stuff right there. That, that's, that's freaking awesome, actually. Hey, how would you, you categorize the culture in the U.S. today? Um, no, no, I wouldn't use very many positive <laughs> words for it. I think it's I think we're, uh, you know, any any culture that's built on freedom. It's it releases tremendous energy in the in the people but it can be very dangerous because not that i'm against freedom what i really am in favor of is maturity and self-control and self-discipline what you just said that you're into like i could have asked that question and you would have said those three things that you were, you were into it's the same thing musashi was into the same thing sun Tzu was into it's the same thing that that all these ancient warrior philosophers have found 
to be the most important things in a society. And the reason that I asked you this question about today's society is the listeners don't know. Steve has done a tremendous amount of work researching societies and cultures throughout history, back to ancient cultures. So there's, uh, he's one of the eminently qualified people to talk about, you know, the good and the bad that we've seen from history. Well, one thing about today's culture, not to get in a rant or anything, but in America, we have a consumer culture, which to me is one of the, one of the worst things I could possibly think of where we are told if we own more, if we buy more, if we eat more, if we consume more, even if it's good stuff, even if it's uh, healthy food or whatever it is, that that's sort of the engine that keeps the economy going, right? We got to sell shit and people have to buy shit for the engine to keep, to keep going. And that can be very dangerous because it produces a, a, a very selfish mindset and a very shallow mindset. And the other thing about, about uh, uh, unlicensed freedom is that it becomes, it can become an individual saying, um, I have a right to do anything I want to do. I'm free. You know, this is a free country. I have a right to go through a red light. I have a right to drive without insurance. I have a right to fuck you up, my buddy, and just walk away from it. You know, and that's not true. And in in the, the Spartan culture, of course, or the Marine culture is really the exact opposite of that, where the, um, obligation to the society as a whole, to your brothers and sisters, to the whole the culture as a whole, takes precedence over the idea of I can do anything I want and there's no consequences. And uh, so we're, we're struggling with that right now. We've been struggling with it for a long time. It's, it's a great thing in a lot of ways, this individual freedom, um, because it really releases the individual to be anything they can possibly be, to take it, their talents is wherever they want to go. But um, over individualism um, becomes uh, a cancer in the society. Um, and I think we're struggling with that right now. The whole factionalism, the whole uh, polarization of the society, you know, that the idea that we don't, that we aren't in this together, that we're not yeah. our brothers, each other's brothers and sister. It's a, it's a real tough one. You know, you go back, you watch, you watch stories or movies from, uh, from World War II, from the greatest generation, right? Not to overpraise them, but, uh, you know, it, it breaks your heart to see those stories because we've lost so much of that now, you know, where everybody knew they were in it together. They had to, there was no choice. And I'm sure there are plenty of shitty people gaming the system at that time. But the overwhelming, uh, you know, uh, spirit was a communal spirit, yep. you know, and, and a fighting together, working together. And I wish we could get back to that. I do, too. There's a there's a clear opposition to community right now, trying to drive wedges all over the place. You know, and they're yeah, absolutely. from a lot of different directions. And it's the saddest thing because that's the thing that we should be putting all efforts into maintaining, but we're seeing the opposite happen. Like there's, there's a few things more important. It just so happens that I, you know, that we just talked about the virtues of a warrior and uh, it's like the things that, that are hurting in our society. To me, I can, I can almost point back to every one of these virtues that we just talked about and show how that's lacking. And because it's lacking, we get this, you know, that kind of thing, the brotherly love. Willingness to experience adversity, loyalty, self-command, self-control, love, patience, selflessness, courage. Even though we all know that that thing that they're saying is okay is not okay, people don't have the courage to speak out about it because they might get kicked out of that tribe they want to belong to. You know, we're seeing so much of that. It's like, And so all these little things are building up to not only suppress all these virtues of a warrior as a whole, but to attack each individual one. And separate those and separate these communities and, and get rid of these ideas of self-reliance and community reliance. Yeah, that's the that's the issue we're dealing with now. And I I wish I could say I had some answer or some solution, but uh, at least right now, I, I sure don't. I'm not going to take up all your time here today, Steve. I really appreciate it. I got one more question to ask you, though, or just a, a topic for to discuss. One of the 
the most powerful things, you know, to me, because I, I put a lot of value in, in love, you know, and then I, that love, I, I believe that I, I choose to love things. I choose not to love things. And I make a cognitive decision to get angry or to not get angry when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Uh, there's that space that Viktor Frankl talks about for me. It gives me the ability to choose. But the op- you said the opposite of fear is love. And if we look at what's happening today, I, I don't know where you are politically or where I, I find that I'm not usually very far off socially than, than most uh, people out there. I, I'd like people being left alone and be a good person, be a good human, uh, be responsible for your actions, have these virtues of a warrior. Those are things that matter the most to me in my life and my family and stealing that on my kids. You said the opposite of fear is love. And there's a lot of things out there every single day. You could turn to any news channel, bring up any web browser and look at the news articles linked to you. Every We are inundated, inundated with things right now that are trying to increase our fear all around in every way. If you turn on CNN, you're getting something that it makes the the progressives and liberals more afraid of conservative Republicans, you know, and makes them more angry. So you turn on Fox News, you're getting the same thing the other direction. You turn on – it's like everywhere you go, they're trying to entertain us. It's like the band playing on the Titanic. They're, you know, preaching to their, their choir while the, the Titanic's, you know, going down. And I it, – it just – it's so annoying watching these attacks from all directions and – forgetting that the opposite of fear is love. You know, that, that love thing, it might sound hippie, but there's nothing more powerful in the universe. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more about what you're saying about uh, um, Fox News and CNN and stuff like that. That that uh, Actually, I was talking to uh, a friend a while ago, and he was saying that, you know, the concept of the amygdala, the lizard brain, right, the, the real primitive brain, He's, he was saying that, all these newscasts and all this stuff is aimed right at our amygdala. It's aimed at, at uh, the first thing they think about is what can we put on the screen that'll piss people off? That they say, those sons of bitches, look at them, you know, and that's, and again, it's because it sells, you know, it gets eyeballs. People will watch it, you know. So I'm personally, I'm sort of making an effort to like really recognize that in myself when I respond out of that lizard brain and, and just try not to do that, remember that we are all brothers and sisters. We're all Americans here, you know, and uh, um, try not to, to take that bait every time they throw it out there. It's a, it's a shame. I don't know how it got to this point. You know, uh, talk radio, shock radio, you know, whatever it was, it started it. It's uh and I don't know how we get out of it, but you're right. That's the cancer that's eating at us right now. I mean, our enemies, Russia, Putin, they don't have to do a damn thing. They just got to let us destroy yeah. ourselves. Just stand back and watch us destroy ourselves. Um, and we got to somehow get out of this. Do you think we don't have enough adversity here? That may be it. You know, it's like if we really had an enemy, maybe maybe we need an enemy that we can or the right kind of enemy, not an enemy like the Taliban that we can never defeat. But even that we have to go beyond that. Yeah. And you know something about that a little bit from what I've studied, you know, but, um, you know, back to it. Let's see if we can bring this all around in full circle. I think a lot of what you've been talking about, and I agree with completely, you know, the the virtues of, of a warrior that you're trying to inculcate in yourself, you know, to be a good father, to be a good husband, to, to do your work or whatever it is. In, in many ways, this this culture we live in, America, is the most advanced culture ever and the most demanding on the individual that it that you know if we were a member of the Taliban right now we wouldn't have to worry about any decision at all because everybody would tell us exactly what we had to do from morning till night right we would just be like an amoeba in a in a great pile of amoebas you know but here we are in America where we have ultimate freedom freedom to fail, freedom to succeed. And so each one of us, this it has to be our own center of, uh, of independence, our own center of thought. And that's a really hard thing to do, you know, not to look to anybody else, but to provide it all in ourselves. And uh, I think if we, if, if 
the human race could ever get to that point, that would be an amazing thing. We've never been anywhere near there in the past. We're, we're outsourcing a lot of us individually right now. We're outsourcing our intellectual thought and our critical thinking to the tribe and the leaders of our tribe, whether it's a celebrity or somebody else, you know, that you've got the, the certain crowd tribe who just comes up with like the craziest stuff ever. I'm like, what, what do you mean? That's not okay anymore. Wow. That, that where did we come up with this craziness, you know? And then like, well, I believe that too. They just constantly conform to their tribe and they net because they want to continue to be accepted by those people they want to be close to. So like they're, Hey, can you, I don't know what to think about this. Can you guys tell me? Okay. Oh, that's what we're doing. Okay. Got it. Okay, <laughs> so let, let me go back to this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> It takes a lot of uh, incredible amount of self-discipline and and um, to uh, to avoid that, you know, to find what you really think yourself, you know, not what other people are brainwashing you to, to believe. It's really, really, really hard. I can't say I'm doing it. I'm doing my best, but that's really, really hard. Well, I hope everybody else out there is doing their best, and I hope you picked up something from this uh, MagLife episode of how to do your best even better. Uh, that's the title of Steve's next book. I'm just kidding. That's not bad though. How to do your best next better. Landerish <laughs> in there. But anyway, the uh, Ed, I know everybody. Where, tell everybody where they can find you at. I mean, you can Google Stephen Pressfield. You're going to find him everywhere. But um, I, where they you like for people to go find the biggest hub? I'm, sure. um, I'm on Instagram. There's there's a lot of good you know a lot of good videos and stuff. Just Stephen underscore Pressfield, and I have my you know I have a website that's just my name. Um, but, uh, for any books or anything like that, it's, uh, just Google, it'll become up, you know, on Amazon or wherever. Uh, yeah, just the normal sort of places. I, I recommend, I had some people, I, I had some people yesterday when I, I made a Facebook post to some just friends that, uh, you were going to be on for an interview today. And it's, a couple of people were like, oh, I love this. I love that book. I love this one. And then some people were like, uh, you know, I, I love the legend of Bagger Vance. And then some people were, uh. I've never read anything by him. What should I read? And I told them to read Warrior Ethos, then Gates of Fire, then Turning Pro, and then Warrior Ethos again. <laughs> so I'd like do it in well, that's good. well, Warrior Ethos is the shortest one, so I'd say that it's it's not too painful. It's a quick read, but it's there's so many things in, in Warrior Ethos that I, I believe that you can read books at different points in your life and get something totally different out of them in your, in those books. The same thing with music, you know, there, there's music in that I grew up with that I wasn't really crazy about that song, but now as I'm older, I'm like, man, that song resonates me more than that song that uh, I liked when I was a kid, yeah. you know, like just cause we get more mature and things mean different things to us. And I think after you go through that path and understand the concepts that you're talking about in your other books that maybe you, you, are expressing subtextually in warrior ethos. They don't come out overtly. Um, those subtext things come out more in warrior ethos after understanding some of the more other things if that makes any sense. Well, thanks. Thanks for putting, putting it out there anyway, Daniel. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. I'm a believer. Uh, a little library here at works full of some Stephen Pressfield. So seriously, thank you for coming on and, and joining me. You know, I've met tons of celebrities and a lot of people out there that, People sometimes nerd out, but uh, and I've had some rock stars and all kind of stuff on this show, but this is probably the coolest experience to, to get to sit and talk to a guy that I spent many hours reading and talking to about those things that I was reading. So it was really awesome. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Thanks for the great questions. We can do this again sometime. I, I would love to. If you ever have any questions or need anything in the gun world, uh, I I got some some help for you if you ever need it. Ah. Okay, I might actually talk to you about that. Yeah. No, it sounds good. I easy. Uh, we'll get you out here in a class and stuff too. Ah. If you want. They might not let they might not let you back in California afterwards because you'll be too good with a gun, but I'm just kidding. No. They're not that bad. Guys out there listening, thanks for joining us uh, again. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh I guess go check out some books by Steve if you haven't read and I get read them, I guarantee you that uh just pick up one of them. They're usually not very long reads and uh but they'll be filled with some things that are gonna enrich your life. See you next time. MagLife out.